depending on the culture of the institution the students go to, that can be a mind-altering experience, a life-altering experience, particularly if there's no people that look like them in roles that have responsibilities to reach out to the students. And, you know, when I was younger, I just didn't see that, you know, and so it's it's very different to have that experience um, as a first generation um, college student at a PWI trying to navigate your way through life, you know, with parents not being able to support you. It's hard. It's hard. And, you know, you, you ask yourself, who am I? Welcome to Off the Top, where Black excellence dwells. Okay, okay, let's get into this. Today, we are asking you to strap in with a large basket because this sister we have today is providing an abundance of knowledge. Dr. Lillian Williams, her ability to be transparent is exactly what we require for growth. After a brief commercial pause, I want you to listen, learn, and connect to her love of us and how that can empower our communities today and future generations tomorrow. Okay, uh, welcome to another episode of Ebony Tree Council Off the Top and Today, and guy, you're going to love this. We have the pleasure of spending some time with Dr. Lillian Wilson Williams. She is a multifaceted individual. And man, let me tell you, you guys are in for a treat. So we'll just go ahead on and jump into it. How you doing, Dr. Lil? I am well. I am well. I'm so excited. Thank you for having me. How are you? I'm doing well. I'm doing well. Thanks for asking. So what we'll do is we'll just go through a few things there and we'll just have fun with it. And uh, to get the party started, uh, why don't you uh, I introduce yourself? Okay, thank you. Well, I am Lillian Williams, aka Dr. Will. I am a native and born and mostly raised, but native of Augusta, Georgia. I am a uh, faculty, a coach, a mentor. Um, I love people. I love my community and I love giving back. So I'm excited. Multifaceted. Yes, yes, indeed. This is going to be fun. So can you, uh, we'll start by just telling us what was your undergrad college experience like? Mm. So, um, I feel like I had two. The first one is, so I started at technical school, community college. I went to Augusta Tech and I learned a trade. And um, to be honest with you and just transparent, I took that route because I didn't think I was smart enough to do anything different. And so my plan was to go to Augusta Tech, get my trade and work the rest of my life. And it was looking back, it was a little bit a uh, naive view, but it was just kind of where I was at the time. And I had a friend of mine and I'm gonna name drop her name is Tamika Few. And she and I met in dental assisting school. 
And we got really close and she talked me into going to hygiene school. So um, that's how I ended up going back to get a undergrad four-year degree um, is because you have to have the two-year core years before you can apply to hygiene school. And so I did that. I was a biology major and I wasn't good at it at all. Uh, Biology didn't like me and I didn't like it back. So we were... uh, had a little love hate thing going because I needed it. Um, so it was a really eye opening time for me. I wasn't prepared for that, especially going to a PWI or what we call the predominantly white institution. It was a shock for me. Um, I just wasn't prepared. I didn't see a lot of faces that look like me um, teaching and working there. So I, I probably took the long way home a bit. Mm-hmm. Um, had to start off in learning support courses because um, I just didn't have like really good grades. So it, I kind of bumped through it a bit. I kind of struggled through it a bit, but um, after my core years, we applied to hygiene school and I didn't get in. Oh, okay. So I had to come up with a plan B quickly. Mm -hmm. Um, And my plan B was, I noticed that um, I took my first psychology course at Augusta Tech. I loved psychology. Um, so I had a lot of psychology electives and I said, hey, I think I can finish this undergrad degree in psychology. So that's what I did. I did a um, psychology major and a sociology minor and finished it on up and thought I was ready to tackle the world and found out real quick. You can't do much with a bachelor's in psychology. <laughs> so. Yes, yes. Yeah, there was. Uh, thank you for sharing that with us. And I want to jump into a couple of different areas there because you were already sharing gold here. And first of all, it was I. What I heard was, in your experience, there was kind of a disconnect between where you came from, you know, educational wise towards this PWI, and you had to sort of like get stuck in between before you can advance to actual taking core courses. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. And the, and the interesting thing was even at Augusta Tech in a trade between that, I think that program was 15 months. We were on quarters in, so I don't remember how many quarters it was, but it was a 15 month program. I did um, all those years at, it was then Augusta State, and I did not have a Black faculty until I was in my literal last year, mm-hmm. virtually my last semester, and um, I had a Black teacher who was um, teaching part of the humanities course, which is like a threefold course, and so I did have one teacher who taught an elective, um, and she was a Black lady, but I, it just wasn't a lot of faces that looked like mine in the academic spaces that I was occupying at the time. I had no idea what a mentor was or how beneficial that would have been to me. Looking back now, I see that had I had somebody there to just kind of go to and talk things out with, maybe I wouldn't have had so many bumps and bruises along the way, but it just wasn't there. And so I didn't I don't think I was able to truly embrace that whole experience and and um, have the full benefit of the college experience because I was just too busy trying to survive and get through unscathed. And I, it's funny you ask that because I actually remember as a psychology major, I struggled and, I, and I'll just be honest with that. I was never a 4.0 student. I struggled and 
Um, I remember I had a white professor and he, for some reason, he just seemed to be teaching all the electives I needed. It, that's just how I, I couldn't avoid him for nothing. I tried, but I remember going, I worked up the courage one day to go to him and say, I need some help. You know, I, I was struggling and I, I went to his office and I said, Hey, I, I'm, I'm struggling. I, I just need some help. I'm just not getting these things. I've failed a couple of your courses and I, I still need to take you to get out of here and I don't know what to do. And his response to me was, yep, it's easy to get in. It's hard to get out. And that was the mm -hmm. only advice he gave me. So that kind of showed me right there where I stood in the institution as a student. Yeah, and, and thank you for highlighting that because what we're finding in a lot of instances, when our young black children go to PWIs, uh, nurturing is not necessarily inclusive. Mm -hmm. And so they have to work extra hard to find that support system that's vital to being able to get through that college experience and come out the other side with the degree. Absolutely. And even now as an educator, one of the things that I struggle with is I'm trying to undo the trauma I feel like I spent a good bit of my semester just trying to build a trust relationship. And I remember one semester I had some students, um, you know, I give out, I, well, of course I do a Google voice number, but I give them my cell phone number where they can text me. I set it up where you can click a link and schedule meetings with me, email me, whatever you need. And the students just weren't utilizing it. And I, you know, one day we were in class and I just said, what's up? Like, holler at me, let me know, like, I'm, I'm here, I'm laying myself out, what's up, and one of the students was like, you know what, we heard you say that, we just didn't believe you, because mm. we've had teachers tell us they care about us, but they don't show they care about us, so you got to give us a minute, because, like, you actually mean it, and we just weren't ready, and I was just like, mind blown, so then I realized my approach needed to change, and at that point, it was kind of time to try to um, heal some of those wounds that I didn't inflict, but it was my responsibility to heal them because I can't educate a student that doesn't trust me and doesn't, you know, um, feel like they can be open and vulnerable with me. So I had to kind of approach my teaching from a different point of view because, you know, there is no nurturing in a lot of education programs. That's, that's interesting. That's interesting. So in, in your uh, opinion, what would you say was the common thread that you know, our kids experience in terms of mindset? Mm. I think, I think because they, you know, when you come up, you're, you're, you have this belief instilled in you that teachers are supposed to care and be that foundation and nurture you. And somewhere along the way, teachers stop doing that. And, you know, unfortunately it's, you know, maybe bureaucracy and politics and the way systems are set up, but we have, as educators, we have different objectives that we have to meet. And so I think that part went lacking. And so the common thread that I see is that students just didn't trust that um, we cared about them. And, you know, our word didn't mean anything. And it was like, I'm sitting here saying, here I am, what do you need? And they were like, we can't trust that you really care enough to give us what we need. And so it was trying to, you know, and, that, and I saw that with all students, not just my students of color, mm -hmm. but my, my non-students of color as well. And I was just like, okay, this is a common theme here. They don't trust us. Mm -hmm. And so because of that, they can't critically think. 
They can't step out and be vulnerable. They were afraid to be wrong, Mm -hmm. you know, to ask questions, to ask for help, all because of that trust being missing. And so I think that was the common thing that I noticed um, in education. So what was it like for you the first time you saw the the light bulb go on in a student's eyes and they were able to believe in what you were saying? It was a it was a humbling experience because I, you know, like I said, I went in with my rose colored glasses on like I am Lillian here be roar right I'm going to change the world one student at a time and it. It was a humbling experience to have a student say, you know what, I counted myself out, but you wouldn't let me. Mm. And now I'm back in. And, you know, the biggest compliment that I can get from students is coming to me saying, what else do you teach? Mm. Because I want to take that class too, right? So then I walk around head on swole because I'm like, yes, right? (laughs) So that was the moment for me. And even more so, you know, as an educator, being aware of, you know, education is holistic. And so if their home life isn't good, school can't be good, right? And so having those students come to me saying, I'm going to give up, you know, my baby daddy don't want me to go to school, like my kids, I got to do. And I'm like, "Uh uh-uh, nope. What do I need to do to help you be successful? Because it's my job as an educator to support you. And so just having students have that moment of realization, like she going to back up what she say, like that was what humbled me and kind of solidified what I needed to do in my life. It kind of led me a little bit closer to my purpose. So it was, it's a humbling experience, but it's one that I don't take lightly. Educating people of color, especially where I started is such a privilege for me. And I tell my students all the time, like, and I get emotional even talking about it. Like, I don't take that lightly. It's a big deal, you know, to be able to give in that capacity. Well, thank you so much for being a gatekeeper for our young minds out there. Really appreciate the compassion that you demonstrate and having talked to uh, my wife about her experiences with you, everything you say and do is genuine. So I can only imagine what it is to be a student in your class. Could be, must be pretty awesome. Thank you. I I hope they think it is. I think it is. I I love being in the classroom. I, I really do. So you mentioned uh, in your introduction, uh, educator, coach, and consultant. So can you share with us a little bit, uh, what was it that got you to go into those other directions? Absolutely. Simplest way to say it, I I made a lot of mistakes along the way, along my path, um, trying to find my purpose, trying to align with my passion, trying to figure out what is it that I'm being called to do, because I have a responsibility to do something. I just was having a hard time figuring out what that was. And right around the time I started getting a little bit closer to that purpose and being able to be confident and walk in that purpose, I had this epiphany that was like, I didn't have anybody. Hmm. And I need to be the person that I needed for somebody else. And that's how I try to order my steps. I don't want someone to have to have the bumps and bruises and dings along the way because they don't have someone that they can look to for support or bounce ideas off of or say, hey, this is what's on my heart. Can you help me sift through it and figure out what it is that I'm trying to do or trying to say? And so 
all my roles are stemming from having someone when I needed someone. And I find it um, my responsibility to just be there for the next generation or the next wave. I, I can't let them come up and do the same things that I did. Right. So, you know, I got to jump in there and, and do my part to be there to support them. Wonderful, wonderful. And we, we do have a responsibility to look back, look down, look up, look left and right, and grab on to our kids and say, you know, here's a way, you know, give them that testimony, as you mentioned, that, you know, I've been where you're going, you know, let's talk about it. I'll share some things that make, may make you want to reconsider. And, and that's so, so helpful in shaping someone's mind so that then they can critically think on their own eventually. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. And 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 even in saying that, I remember one of my very first semesters teaching, I had a student and she was in her 30s. She had six kids and there were days she was coming in late. She's dragging in, doesn't have the work done. And so after class one day, I was like, OK, what's going on? And she was just like, I can't do this. Mm -hmm. And I started laughing and she just looked at me and I said, honey, I'm not laughing at you. I'm laughing because I was you, you know, in a lot of ways I was you. And I can tell you with a hundred percent certainty. Right. I'm a doctor. That's that's my favorite thing to say, right? I'm a doctor. So doctor's orders are, yes, you can do it. And yes, you will. Because if I could do it, literally not the 4.0 student, the person that people counted out, discounted, didn't think was going to make it. And here I am. If I can do it, anybody can do it. And that's hopefully the testimony that um, people get out of my stories and my, and my struggles and my path. You know, it, it, you can do it whatever I need to do to make sure you can do it. That's what I'm going to do. Cause there's plenty enough room for us all at the top. Right. So we, we can take some people with us. Yes. And, and, you know, sometimes we have to, you know, raise our awareness to understand that uh, a mentality of scarcity was not something that we were given. Mm. We, we, mm -hmm. we, we didn't grow from that. You know, everything mm -hmm. that was put in us was a growth mentality in abundance. You know, somebody else laid that on us along the way. Absolutely. So, wonderful, wonderful, man. So I just, I want to take a, a minute and kind of dig a little deeper into uh, the roles that you, you find yourself in, because it, it's so amazing to me when I meet people that are multifaceted and that equates to, you know, typically multiple streams of income for someone and, you know, why that might be important for our kids to kind of consider when they're planning for their future. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah. And I, you know what, and I, I think you hit the nail on the head. I, we have going back to the comments you made about the scarcity mindset. Um, you know, we've been conditioned to feel like as long as we have one good job and, you know, do good at that job, we'll be successful. But what we're actually seeing is now we need multiple streams of income sometimes, you know, unless you can just find that one job that just, you know, is covering our bases. But I, I, I'm trying to set up some generational stuff, you know, so in order to do that, we have to have multiple streams of income. And we don't talk about that enough with our kids about passive income and setting ourselves up for success. So we have different things going. And so, um, what I decided to do is if you can't tell, I love people. I am very extroverted. People energize me. I love interacting with people. And so what I found is different ways to nurture 
that part of me that I love and also be able to help people. And so talking, teaching, coaching, consulting, mentoring, it's all a part of those things that, you know, make up who I am and what allows me to thrive. And so it just kind of made sense for me to be an educator and then try to be a coach and a consultant because all those things are kind of, you know, there's an overlap there. Um, and so those things work very seamlessly, but I actually, of all those things, the consulting actually came first. Um, and that actually was a result of some students that I was interacting with who were, you know, um, doing some rotations out at different offices in the community. And there was a need there and my students like boosted me up. They were my sponsors in that moment. And they were like, Hey, you need to call Dr. Williams. And so people started calling me and I was like, what? Okay. So I had to like throw something together so I could do this um, thing of consulting. And then, um, from there, I really thought that, um, I was being pulled to do something else and I couldn't figure out what that was. And then I, I discovered coaching. And so I started making that a part of what I do as well. And then, you know, the education is just a bonus for me. Like, I love it. But it, that to me, that feels the least laborious of all the things that I do, because ever since I was a little kid, I had I was teaching, you know, you line the dolls up and you <laughs> teaching classes and talking to people, teaching. Right. So that's just something that I've always done. So it just it just seems real natural for me. Mm-hmm. Wonderful, wonderful. That's so amazing. It, it, I've heard often people say when they have multiple roles that they're working in, and they've evolved and become self-aware that, you know, you find yourself looking for different avenues to fulfill, you know, different parts of you. Mm-hmm. And so they may translate into something like, you know, educator, coach, consultant, or, you know, mm-hmm. something else, you know, and it just being able to fulfill yourself, you know, holistically, mind, yeah. body, and spirit, you know, it helps sometimes to be able to do roles like the way you're doing them. I hope so. I I hope people are able to kind of find that alignment and then, you know, branch off from there. Because one of the things that I, you know, I hate to say it this way, because I'm sure I'm, you know, I'm going to tell everybody I know to listen. So that means my parents might listen, (laughs) but, but I'll just be transparent. You know, that just wasn't how we were raised. And I don't think it was that my parents didn't want to be supportive and didn't want to plant seeds. I just don't think they knew how. And so, again, that came from all the bumps and bruises I got along the way where I was like, you know, it would have been very helpful to have somebody to talk to to say, hey, this is what I'm thinking about doing. What's the best way to get there? Or, hey, I thought I want to get here. I tried this. It didn't work. How can I regroup? And so that, you know, that this is just a labor of love for me um, because I feel a responsibility for the generations coming behind me. You know, I have two boys who are in two totally different generations. And so I have to pull them along because, you know, I was supposed to leave the world better for them and I didn't quite do that. Right. So now I got to still get in the game and hustle and try to make it better for them to come along. Man, that's, that's, that's so great. And thank you for sharing it. And and you hit on something that I really wanted to uh, bring out in the conversation. And that was, you know, how we were raised. And all of our families have good intentions, I believe, at least, because I believe there's good in everybody on the planet. It's a matter of whether or not they want to choose it. But uh, the boundaries that they have on being able to raise children are oftentimes, you know, generational. 
So mm-hmm. if they didn't get that from their parents, then they're going to pass that on, not understanding, you know, not being aware, but still pass it on. And so at some point in time, you know, it's important for folks like you who can break generational uh, chains to show people that there, there is a different way to nurture and raise the kids. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, you know, I think you hit something very profound and it, it, it's not that, and I agree with you, I, I don't for a second believe that parents just don't want to support their kids. Sometimes they just don't know how right. and, or they don't have the connections, they don't have the networks and they just don't know how to get us those connections that we need. And so we come along, you know, once we decide to have our children and bring the next generation, we think about all the things we want to do differently, mm-hmm. but sometimes we don't have the capacity to do anything different right so and I know in the in the black families you don't ask questions and you don't you know you don't question tradition is we've always done it like this we're going to keep doing it like this right and you know the story about the lady cutting the roast the end off the roast because that's how her mama always did it and you know come to find out mama didn't have a pot that would fit the roast right but we never (laughs) asked we never asked those questions to figure out where they were coming from. And I think as an adult, as a mother, that's one of the things that I've had the self-awareness to do was to just go back to my mom and say, you know what, when you did this, I felt some kind of way. Mm-hmm. I feel like I know where you were coming from, but can we talk about this? Cause I don't want to make that mistake with my kids, right? I don't want them to feel the way I felt. And so sometimes it's good to be able to get that clarity to hear her say, you know what? Yeah, I got it wrong. This is what I was trying to do. And I'm like, okay, there's a better way for me to do this here. Right. But that comes from being able to be self-aware and also, you know, being able to ask questions. And I'm thankful that now, I mean, much later in life, my parents are at a point where they will be honest and transparent about a lot of things. But when I was coming up, that wasn't an option. You just, you just did what they told you to do because that's what they told you to do, you know? So I, I consider myself fortunate in that regard that I can try to learn from a lot of those things and try to do something different. Yeah, and it's kind of tricky because you know here we have these high school kids transitioning to college, and at the same time, you know they're separating themselves from the belief systems that they were taught by their family, going mm-hmm. to a whole new world where they get a chance to you know, develop their own belief system. And, and there's yeah. a struggle, there's a tension there about, you know, what do I keep? What do I throw away? And yeah. at the same time, you got to learn how to adapt to the pace of a higher education system without a support system. Yeah. So. Yeah. And a, and a lot of kids have a hard time with that, you know, and again, I think it just comes from, I don't want to say fear because mm-hmm. that's powerful, but I think it's just their family and their generations just not having that as a template for how life should go. So when students make that decision to do that, people just don't know how to support them. Or like my parents, I can look back and say they they were afraid and it was just that they didn't know how to say, we don't know how to get you there. Mm-hmm. So it came out more as, you sure you want to do that? I don't think you should do that. Why don't you just, no, nah, I don't do that this, right? But it was because they didn't want me to get hurt, right? And so I, I think you hit the nail on the head. And then, you know, depending on the culture of the institution, the students go to, that can be a mind altering experience, a life altering experience, particularly if there's no people that look like them right. in roles that have responsibilities to reach out to the students. And, you know, even um, Augusta Tech is more of a um, Black um, 
predominantly black institution now but when I was younger I just didn't see that I, you know and so it's it's very different to have that experience um, as a first generation um, college student at a PWI trying to navigate your way through life you know with parents not being able to support you it's hard it's hard and you know you you ask yourself who am I you, you start comparing yourself to other people. You start trying to imitate other people. And sometimes you lose a little bit of yourself and your culture trying to figure out how to make it work. So um, I think that's even more so why it's our responsibility to make sure that our students, while, while it's great to find yourself and while it's great to branch out, we still have to kind of leave a little line to them so they know there's a way to get back um, if they get you know too far out there. Or at least, you know, like you say, give them something to consider before mm-hmm. they go off head first down a path that may not be productive for them yes indeed yeah yes, indeed man and um wow this has been so so much fun uh one of the things that i wanted to touch on uh now is what we offer at ebony tree council you know a lot of what we're talking about here it's inclusive of what we believe in and what we offer because our, our kids are only as broad as their experiences and being able to help them to see other people that have gone down that journey and come out successful and then they can reach out and touch and talk to is, is just one facet of it. But we also want to be able to you know, nurture kids in a way that they develop a little bit more confidence in themselves because they're looking inward first, then outward, Mm -hmm. and then also helping them to develop some critical thinking skills so that when they come to those challenges, they can say, wait a minute, you know, let me look at this objectively, Mm -hmm. not from my emotions. So, so shameless plug, but just just put that in there because, you know, this is where we're kind of intersecting at and, you know, would love to, you know, have an opportunity to talk to you more about helping us shape that journey for our young kids. Man. Absolutely. And, you know, just another shameless plug. I, I just love what, what your organization stands for. It just, when I had an opportunity to hear firsthand from your wife, what was going on, I was like tearing up goosebumps. I couldn't be still. I was walking around and I was just like, oh my gosh, I need this. I need to be a part of this. What can I do? Because it's such an important mission is such an important goal and to find out that it's a labor of love makes it even more important because it's not you know it's 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 something about feeling being led to do something you know that that makes it just that much more um, significant and powerful and I just love everything that Ebony Tree Council stands for I love the aim the goal it whatever I can do to be a part of it I was like I got to be a part of it whatever I could do so I I'm so thankful for you all for just seeing um their the need and stepping in to answer the call thank you so much for sharing that I really appreciate it whoop, whoop. <laughs> it's a poor dog won't wag his own tail we gonna wag yeah. his tail today. <laughs> so so now we come to the part of the conversation where I'm gonna now, ask you to um, share some of your thoughts and knowledge. And but the way we do it is uh, like this: uh, since our target demographic is fifteen to twenty-two years old, we're going to ask you pick one of those ages, fifteen or twenty-two, and tell us what would you say to your fifteen or twenty-two-year-old self? Ooh, 
Ooh, to my 15-year-old self, I would say, don't be afraid to try. Mm-hmm. I, looking back, I think that was one of the things um, that hindered me. I would also say to her, don't worry about what anybody else thinks. Because mm-hmm. um, that was a big thing for me at that age as well, for sure. Wonderful, wonderful. Thank you so much for that. So now having shared that, we want to do a little bit of a visionary look on where we're going from here. What's next for you? Mm-hmm. Ooh, what hopefully what's next for me is I would love to um, expand more into um, coaching. Mm-hmm. Um, I would like to do more with um, with people in relationships and family dynamics, um, just trying to coach people so they could be their best version of themselves um, for their families and in their relationships, because I think those are the foundation pieces for the community. You know, the learning starts at home, the love starts at home. So I would love to work in a capacity to try to help um, build up the family units um, so that we just have a better community, better society hopefully a better world. So that's what I'm um, focusing on. And then my education piece of that is, you know, trying to get some of these minds, like you said, to be able to think objectively and critically think and ask questions and challenge the status quo so that when they um, go out in the world, they go out, you know, fully aware and able to make confident strides to whatever it is they're being led to do. Nice, nice. So at your pinnacle of a coaching, what does that look like for you? Mm. At the pinnacle of my coaching career, I'm going to be um, globally situated where I can reach the masses, where I will, Mm. I always tell my husband, my dream is to have a platform where they just say, tell us how you feel. And I'm gonna say, honey, get ready, buckle your seatbelt, right? And I'm gonna share my story. And I hope in doing that, that the kind of coach that I will be will be one that is going to empower people. I'm very big on empowerment, motivate people, inspire people, and ultimately tell somebody, yes, you can. And yes, you will. If you want to, yes, you will. And I want to be in a situation where I can help inspire people through my Um, stewardship and through my love of people so at the pinnacle of my coaching I just want to be in a situation to reach as many people as possible to preach empowerment and support and growth so they can be the best versions of themselves that's so nice and and it falls in line with what you already been saying about your compassion and love for helping other people Mm -hmm. and being able to to reach folks at a on a global scale can really send your message out there and touch people in a, in a unique way. Uh, yeah. We're looking forward to your rising star in doing that. Okay, so we're almost to the end and okay. I just had one more question for you. And, and so this question is uh, looking, picturing a day in the life when you're at your pinnacle of coaching. Mm-hmm. the smells the sounds everything just pick a day 
So what was the biggest thing you had to overcome to get there? Mm. I already know the answer to this one. (laughs) The biggest obstacle that I had to have to overcome is doubting myself. Mm. And that's something um, I would talk to my 22 year old self about and say, you know what? you're worthy. You're enough, you know, and I, I, I still even now sometimes suffer from imposter syndrome, just feeling like I'm not deserving and I'm not worthy because again, going back to how I was raised, we put so much of our worth into what other people think about us. And that's how I define my worth because if, well, if I didn't get that promotion, that means I wasn't good enough, right? It never occurred to me that, no, that just wasn't a job that deserved me. And so to get to that pinnacle place where I'm able to get out into the world and let my passion um, show and work in my purpose, I got to get out of my own way Mm -hmm. and realize that I'm here for a reason. I have earned this space. I have blood, sweated, cried for this space mm-hmm. and I'm worthy. And um, I think once I'm able to navigate that successfully, and it's not that it won't maybe be a, a bit of a struggle here and there, but just truly overcoming that doubt where I'm, I'm still able to walk forward and make moves, even though I may be scared. Um, I think that's when I'll reach my pinnacle. And so I'll be able to look back and say I overcame I got out of my own way and I I I, I know I'm worthy I'm enough um and I think that's going to be the that day that I'm looking back that's going to be the biggest thing I overcame man that's so beautiful and uh, you've already shared with us how many times that you've overcome obstacles uh to get you to where you are here today so no doubt you'll be able to overcome those obstacles looking forward as well Absolutely. It has been such an amazing and fun time talking with you. Uh, did you want to share anything else with our young audience today? Um, I think at the sum of it all, what I would say is don't count yourself out. You know, it, it, it's, it's so hard to, it's hard to when you don't see people that look like you mm-hmm. in certain spaces, we tend to feel like we don't belong in those spaces. We have this view of people of color having to be exceptional to occupy spaces that our non-color counterpart, uh, counterparts occupy. And what we have to realize, and I hope the young people realize is you deserve to be in those spaces and you don't have to be exceptional to be successful and to walk in your part, right? Everybody's not going to be LeBron James. Everybody's not going to be Michael Jackson, right? I'm not Iyala Vincent. I love Iyala, but I'm not her, right? But I'm Lillian Williams and Lillian Williams is enough. It's enough for me to show up and be my authentic self, for me to be able to touch people, for me to be able to inspire people. And so I hope the next generation embraces that taps into that power, taps into their calling. And again, being able to walk confidently, knowing they deserve to be here in those spaces and, and just claim them. Ladies and gentlemen, Dr. Lillian Williams, 
educator, coach, consultant, game changer, and life changer. Thank you so much for sharing with us today. <laughs> Thank you so much for having me. I enjoyed this. I wish I, I could talk all day. So I, was, I <laughs> wish we could have more time, but I enjoyed it. Thank you so much for having me. All right. Okay. Okay, beautiful <laughs> people. Listen, first, let's just think this bold, beautiful yes, queen yes. for giving so much of herself. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Thank you, Dr. Williams. Thank you Williams. so much. You are appreciated. <laughs> yeah. Um, so let's go and get into her stuff. Yeah, the, the, the couple of things that came out to me, and I'll just start with the first one, which is Dr. Lillian told us and our children don't be afraid to Ooh, try don't be afraid live fearless <laughs> yes indeed live your yes, fearless indeed. self um yeah i i felt that moment mm -hmm. and it, one of the things uh overall that i loved was her transparency right you know for her to put so much of herself out there for all to hear mm -hmm. um i appreciate that and mad respect and and a hat tip to dr lillian williams and see that's what's so important about being in a a helping profession is that in order for people to grow in their connection to you they have to be able to trust you and transparency is one of those things that allows other people. Yes. They can see themselves in you and they begin to trust. Yes. And understand how they can grow through adversity as well. Amen for that one, Mr. Griffin. Mm -hmm. I like that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, she puts, for me, she puts action to theory and purpose to teaching. Absolutely. I, I appreciated that. The self-awareness. Um just trying to do something different. Um, and uh, we got to talk about her pivot real quick. Let's talk about the pivot, the pivot baby. <laughs> her pivot from dental to psych. Mm -hmm. I'm glad she made the pivot because so she is a much needed asset. Yeah, She's, it's funny that anytime, many times well, when we start out on a path, we're doing it for reasons not our own. Yes. Uh, and fortunately for many of us, you know, God is able to redirect us on a path, even though it may feel painful or strange at the time, it's yes. what we're intended yes. to do. And can we go ahead and thank her parents for their being so open? Indeed. Because I feel like that's a, a part that assists in her growth as well. Yeah. Her parents being yeah. willing to be equally as transparent and accommodating to her needs as a woman. So and thank a you. Parent. Thank you. <laughs> Mama Dr. Lillian. Yeah. Daddy Dr. Lillian. <laughs> yes. Okay, so let's talk about the numbers. Let's talk about the numbers, baby. Okay. As a psych, average salary forty three thousand six hundred and eighty eight dollars. That's a professor of psychology. Uh, and then there will be an 11% job growth rate for this profession. Mm -hmm. That's a lot of jobs. A lot of jobs. That's a lot of mind digging, too. <laughs> and then um, at the time of this opening, I'm sorry, at the time of our podcast, 
14,958 jobs are open. Mm-hmm. Yes, mm-hmm. that's a nice old number for, you know, for us to increase our 7.2% in the field. So, yeah, them numbers. The numbers, the numbers are important. Those numbers are very important. So for anybody that's looking to get into a helping profession, the opportunities are there. Yes. You just got to do the work. You got to do the work. Yeah. yeah, you do. So, as always, um, we, we, we feel like this information is imperative to the growth of our community so kids can see that there are options. And Dr. Lillian uh, made that very clear. Living fearless. Yeah. Living fearless. You can go after these things. And if it don't fit, don't feel right, don't move you, pivot. Mm-hmm. Okay. Pivot. So let's pivot to our goodbye. <laughs> we really enjoy being with you on the podcast. Yes. And this is our gift, but it's also we receive so much from sharing with you all. Yes, we and do. So we thank you all so much for listening to our podcast. Thank and you. as always... Listen, learn, connect as we go deep for the culture. Deep for the culture. (laughs) It is a joy. See you next time. You have been listening to Off the Top, where Black excellence dwells. If you enjoyed this episode, please comment below, share with your friends and family, and come back for the next episode where we will continuously provide usable, tangible, life-shifting information.